What one thing do you wish you'd have been told 10 years ago? Gosh, first of all, I'm like, oh my God, how old was I 10 years ago? It was like the first thing that came into my head. Like, oh my gosh, time has gone. Um, but 10 years ago was quite a pivotal time for me because I I just had my son. And um, prior to to that experience I'd been you know I was quite fortunate I left I graduated from uni went pretty much straight in into a job within six months so I was literally out and then straight into work so by that point I'd been you know working for a good kind of six seven years um but what I observed in those six seven years was a um marketing culture but I think it was just corporate culture at the time that um, I didn't see many examples of you know parents you know women and men that were successfully balancing a career and um, being a parent and it you know I observed you know women feeling guilty leaving the office at 4 p.m and then you know the because I was one of the younger ones without kids, you hear the conversations as they leave, like, oh, we're leaving at four again, or we can't put that meeting in because you know, they've got to leave at four mm-hmm. or they, they don't work Fridays. Um, so as I became, you know, obviously pregnant and I was happy, but part of me actually really mourned my career because I, I didn't believe I was I could successfully have the two um so I kind of you know I went for a whole moment of my career's over I'm gonna have to change industry I don't I don't know if I can do my job and be a parent um so I think the advice that I would give myself at that in that moment was becoming a parent is going to be an undeniable superpower that is going to make you a significantly better marketeer. A, because it just gave me a empathy and a perspective that, I don't know, I just felt a lot more connected um, as a human being. It sounds might lofty, but um, that's the truth. I felt really connected as a human being, which made me a lot more empathetic, a lot more insightful and the other area was I just became fantastic at managing time I became a lot more efficient um and a lot more focused in terms of really prioritizing the things that matter so it I went from feeling like my career was over and I went for a whole period of really mourning I'm not going to able to really fulfill my potential to actually realizing actually it is going to be hard you know it, you know it, it is hard juggling but it could be it, it would be the best thing that's ever happened to me and I just wish if I could go back to myself in that moment I would really tell myself that because I genuinely believe something different what a start um what an answer thank you very much for that so if Hey up and welcome to the strategy sessions. My name is Andy Jarvis. I'm the host of the show and the strategy director at Eximo Marketing. I am here to welcome you to season four of the strategy sessions. 
You just heard a wonderful intro there from the guest of today's episode, episode one, season four. And you'll hear a bit more about that guest, who they are and what they have to say in the next couple of minutes. But before we do that, I just want to tell you a few things about season four. What's going to be different? Not a lot, actually. It's going to be great interviews with great guests sharing their marketing story, their marketing history, and giving you some hints and tips along the way. If you came here because you listened to Rory Sutherland at the end of season three, I've got some fantastic news for you. He's going to do part two, and that'll be coming out in a couple of months. He's got something big on at the minute, which we'll probably talk about when he does the episode. So it's broadly going to be the same. Tune in episode every three weeks, generally speaking, and you can tune in and hear some great marketers. I say generally speaking every three weeks. Why is that? Well, because this is episode one of the series and it is October. October in the UK is Black History Month. If you're listening in the US and going, Black History Month's not October. It is here in the UK. It's not in the US. We'll maybe talk about that another time. So we're celebrating the best black marketing talent in the UK in Black History Month. And as a special feature, we're going to do an episode a week. There's Tuesdays, our release date, and there's five Tuesdays. So we're going to do five episodes. And this is the first one. So let's get back to the guest, right? Because I could waffle on for ages about why I'm doing this and how wonderful it is. But I just want you to listen to this guest because that opening answer that you've just heard is amazing. And let's hear what else that she has to say. So here we are. Let's get into the episode. As always, like the episode, share it with your friends and give it a five star rating if you can. Subscribe if you're on YouTube. All the usual stuff podcasters say, just do it. But mainly, put your earphones in and have a listen to today's guest, Sharice. She's fantastic. So if you are listening and you're wondering whose voice is that, that is Sharice Anibaba, who is the head of brand at Green King. Sharice, welcome to the strategy sessions. And thank you for that amazing start to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm excited to um, be talking to you. Um, yeah, I really can't wait to just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to park some of the things you've just mentioned there. I am going to come back to them because I think there's some really, really important subjects there. And uh, what I want to do is just to go right back to the beginning of your career first, because I think that will help frame some of the things you've just said. And then we can dive into that as well, then talk about your future career to find out if your career did die by becoming a parent um spoiler alert i don't <laughs> but uh you know let, let's see where we get to if you're watching the video as well um apologies you probably can't see too much of me but that's not necessarily a bad thing we've got some sunshine it's autumn and i'm not closing the curtain so i'm just going to be overexposed that's fine don't worry about it so sharice let's start with where you started your career you started at mcdonald's and i find this a really interesting place to learn uh, to cut your teeth what was it like working at mcdonald's uh it was brilliant um it was just yeah it was an amazing training ground a because i was surrounded by just some of the best marketing brains um the best agency partners and I, you know, it's not often in your career or, or or many people get to experience what amazing looks like and um, what a successful organization, marketing team, agency, client relationship, what, you know, what that really looks like. And I was just really, really fortunate to be at McDonald's specifically at that time, because when I joined the business, it was just coming out of the back of um the whole supersize me um mm. and it, we were just coming out 
or we're just around it in a recession. So it was a really kind of quite tumultuous time for the business. Um, and actually being part of the team and understanding like the pivot and what moves to make, what not moves to make. It was just an amazing experience, actually, that I often, I even, you know, lean on now. Um, and, you know, I got to experience, at, you know, very, very early on in my career, you know, probably things that people much later on in the career don't experience from mm-hmm. shooting, you know, I think one year we did like six or seven TV ads in one year, Um huge outdoor campaigns um you know lots of you know innovation and at that time there was a lot of innovation coming through which is mcdonald's actually doesn't bring a lot of new innovation to market but at that time there was quite a lot of change and it was just a really exciting place to be um and i really felt like i was um in a context that I literally could do anything that I wanted. Like I was really giving the space to grow, um, to 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 be successful, to to make you know to have failures and learn from them. It was just a really great training ground, and I was really nurtured while being there. I'd forgotten about the Super Size Me um, show, and you know, and the huge debate that that caused. But I did go into McDonald's recently, probably for the first time in maybe a decade or more, I'm, I'm I'm old these days and not a core customer for McDonald's. But now with a daughter, I went into a McDonald's. I was amazed at kind of what was still broadly the same, but how mm. much of it had changed. Was that all driven off the back of the Super Size Me debate and issue that forced a relook into what a McDonald's restaurant looks like? Yeah, I think what's just, what was really interesting at the time is, is, from a, a CSR perspective and you know they've been pretty consistent you know for the last 15-20 years around being really honest and open about what goes into the product and um, you know really being true to the messages of it's you know 100% beef um, they use organic milk in their in their coffees in their tea um, that I you know the beef is for the beef that goes into the beef burgers is four quarter and flank. You know these things that get drummed into you from like a, <laughs> so, into you from an yeah yeah. I remember all of the quality messaging. It's been pretty consistent and had been, um, and I think there was we were at a time where actually as a society we were obviously looking for more choice and more balance, particularly as when you're at the end of the market you are serving you know customers who may financially may not have many other choices so being able to have a choice be it um I really want to treat myself and I want a cheeseburger and a McFlurry or actually I want something that's going to be good for me at a price that's affordable so what was really interesting at that time was of ultimately is given that choice so whilst I was there um, I worked on the wraps and the salads platforms which was super super interesting and obviously is still there today Um, and I think ultimately what I took from that that experience and what I've really held with me throughout my career be it working in food or drinks brands is you have responsibility to provide choice and uh, making sure that choice is balanced, particularly when you're serving a segment of the market that is less affluent. 
so maybe didn't has maybe you don't have the money the means or the money to have those choices available to them and there are different occasions so you might have some occasions that are a bit more indulgent versus you might you know you you might not want a quarter pound of McFlurin large fries at lunchtime but a wrap and a diet coke will be okay so I think um yeah for me having that choice and balance was really really key and that's been consistent I think they've maintained that from you know when that first came out to what is happening even today and innovation's a thread that stayed with you throughout your career. But before we dive into that, I just want to go back to the the learning experience at McDonald's as well. Because I know from talking to a lot of re- people who work in retail that at some point during the year, they go on from head office or marketing or wherever, go and spend some time on the shop floor. But you spent a lot of time on the shop floor as part of the, you know, what, what's that ethos at McDonald's about making sure everyone spends some time, you know, connected to the customer? Yeah, this was an amazing, like, this is something that I've, like, has stayed with me my entire career. Um, So before you join the business, you have to do, as part of your induction, you have to do two weeks um, in a restaurant of your choice. It's usually usually your local one where you work for two weeks. And um, usually you're more of a, a hindrance than a help to the store. So they're, they're like, oh, here we go. So oh, from someone head else office. from head office here. Yeah. Office. And um, you're there for two weeks. But it's brilliant because you you do everything from understanding how to make you know, all the core ingredients to tills, to interacting with the customers, to cleaning. Um, so you really understand the machine that you, you know, the machine that you're a part of from a head office perspective, it really makes sense because that's the point of execution and delivery. You understand the 100, 200 decisions that are made prior to that to make that moment, A, as a, as special as it can be for that customer in that moment, but B, as efficient, as operationally excellent, um, and also dealing with, you know, a team of people who could range from like age 16 to 75. It's a job that, you know, is accessible to everybody because actually there's a whole ecosystem of them that has great training and quite great development. Um so yeah it's it's a fantastic fantastic um philosophy and actually it's not just the two two weeks so during my time there I um you know I built great relationships with some franchisees um who became really great supporters of you know whenever I was thinking of something I would have one of them I'll call and go I've got this idea what do you think and they'll go yes she's or no she's it won't work um I spent a lot of time uh with the categories I worked in just observe sitting in a restaurant and observing people seeing how they engage with the product and um what they were doing and just just a customer behavior the types of people that came in um it's a really great philosophy and I think it's really born from the fact that you could be a crew member and CEO one day Mm -hmm. um and actually one of my good friends uh, we came in as graduates at the same time. He started as a crew member, um, came in as a placement student. We came in, we both came in as graduates and he's now head of marketing there, but he started in as a crew member in the McDonald's uh, business. So I think as a philosophy, 
um you re it's really true there's so many people in the business that started like on the shop floor and now are in really senior senior roles so it, it literally is one of those businesses that you can go in and almost the sky's the limit like you can really realize your potential in your dreams like the opportunity is there for you yeah. I think that's this amazing philosophy I think there's something really important about um staying customer centric in, in a marketing role and I, I talk frequently about a conference I was at in Athens Greece uh, last no earlier this year sorry where there was 300 e-commerce practitioners in the room and I asked the question in the Q&A at the end of the audience I was like how many of you have spoken to a customer in the last six months and I made it clear I was talking about actually exchanging information not just reading a customer report for example and six people put their hand up six in a room of 300 had had a conversation with a customer now I know look at McDonald's is a restaurant and you've worked in retail you know but that's maybe an easier bridge to cross mm. But how you can be a marketer without understanding your customers just beyond me. I have got yeah. How do you do your job if you don't understand the people who are buying the product? Yeah. I don't get it. I just don't know how we do it. How do we get into this position where people don't talk to them? Uh, uh, it's it's it, I think it's tough, and it's as you get more senior in the business, you know, you're often there, and you know the the senior management team below you are preparing you reports and presentations and decks, and um, you know, so you can see how it happens. But I feel like if you know you're in that moment where you've gone, actually, my understanding of my customer is a you know a swanky <laughs> segmentation or term that a marketer or a brand person has made up, and actually I've not actually really spoken to them, and actually I myself am probably now completely disconnected from that sector of society and I would just always say it's something that stayed with me but in my time at Speedo I often <laughs> slightly weird but if I was in the changing room and somebody wasn't wearing a Speedo I'd be like you're not wearing a Speedo why um, or if they're wearing a Speedo I'm like, oh you're wearing um, the Racerback like have you you know talk, talk to me about it or someone's got goggles I know you've got Speedo goggles or if they haven't got Speedo goggles why have you not got Speedo goggles on um, <laughs> I can, yeah. sorry I can see this be, I can see me <laughs> using this in my defence in court and it's like so why were you arrested for pestering people in the swimming changing rooms Andrew yeah uh, well, Cherise told me that it's market research and that's what I needed yeah. to do. So I'm like, look, I've got it on the podcast. I'll play it back. But it's so insightful. Uh, honestly, it's so insightful. Be it, you know, one woman said to me, oh, I, I, I can't be asked for speedos because um, you ha I have to you have to size up about two, three sizes. And I just don't like the idea of having to buy <laughs> You know, it's, a size sixteen, yeah. a size sixteen, yeah. and I'm not a size sixteen or whatever size it is. Um, so it's such an emotive response, yeah, isn't it, to a yeah, practical yeah, yeah. product? But people are like that. People are yeah, messy, yeah. complicated, difficult, and and they don't fit into these lovely little boxes. And you know, I, I say if I can't draw it in a pyramid, it's not marketing. But people don't always fit into upside down yeah. pyramids and you know circles and bullseye charts and things, do they? So yeah, um, or or they don't care enough. They'll be like, oh well, it's just the same, and it? it's just yeah. so different. Why, why did you why did you buy that swimming costume? Uh, I I don't know. I went in to buy one, and it was the first. <laughs> it was one the I first saw. one there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so okay. yeah. so yeah, it's something that's really stayed with me. Um, 
in any and I don't think I don't think even if you are working in consumer goods or retailer where you're a little bit more removed from the customer you can still go you know into your supermarkets and go down to your aisle and observe people what are they doing how they're picking that you put it up put it up are they looking around where are they looking and you can you know you can still be that weirdo that asks them questions and I'm also that person as well <laughs> You're my type of weird. I like that. I like that. Um, so from McDonald's, you moved through, um, you were a New York bagel company in Britvic. So you stayed in kind of food and drink as a broad yeah. category. What were those two uh, jobs like before? And then we'll talk about the other food and drink job as well that you went into. Yeah. Um, so New York Bakery Bagel um, was a really, really great role. It was very different. So coming from a big, you know, a huge global business um, going to New York Bakery Bagel, which was probably, I would say, kind of a, more, a size of like a scale up. So a very mm -hmm. small team. There's probably about five or six of us. Um, There's only two of us in brand and marketing and we did absolutely everything. So going from a a marketing team of like 40 people to a marketing team of like two there's two of you and I'm one of the two <laughs> it was like a bit of a shock to the system but it was amazing because a it really stress tested my skills so all of mm -hmm. that kind of that infrastructure and that training support that I got at McDonald's it really it it stress tested the, um, them um people thought I was crazy making that move but I honestly I think it was the best decision I did make in my career at the time um because it actually enabled me to just have some freedom and try some stuff. Um, the marketing director I was working with was just, he was just like, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to change? What do you like? What don't you like? So there was that real freedom to explore and be strategically creative. Um, and also I would, I learned at, in that role, it was my first consumer goods role, but um our offices were above the factory and we, we had another factory in Rotherham and it was the first time I'd worked on like a manufacturing business and it actually taught me the power of you know having that connection down to the factory floor so this, as you can start to see if it's not customers yeah. but having that connection again to the product the people that you make in your product and really learning how the manufacturing process works and as marketeers how you can add value in when you start to understand how your product is made um and the, and the cost associated with that so that was just a really really great experience of just being able to be quite entrepreneurial be quite agile and um having the freedom and the space to be quite innovative i think that that's a real important point and one that you know i when I die, somebody will probably write on my gravestone, Andy always said, talk to your customers. It's kind of almost <laughs> becomes a thing I'm known for now. But it's a really important point then about having to have that connection with manufacturing. Because as a marketer, yeah. you can listen to customers, you can come up with all sorts of wacky, weird and wonderful ideas. But when the rubber hits the road and you pop down to see manufacturing and they go, well, you can do that, but you've just quadrupled the price of the product. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And it's going to take us an extra six months to be able to make it. And we're going to have to turn the production line off while we regear it all. And you've just cost the company 8 million quid. Right. Or, yeah. or whatever, you know, whatever that might be. But having that connection really helps drive innovation, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think it does. I always think there's a problem with innovation. People think innovation is this blank piece of paper with no boundaries, and no wild ideas. Mm. But I actually think it works the other way. I think innovation comes when you draw boundaries around something. Yeah. These are the restrictions we have. 
Now what can we do? Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Is that right? Wrong? How does that you know? No, I hundred, I hundred percent agree. So like um, the and and also after the people that are working with your product day in day out, so the people on their line, like they know they sometimes will have ideas themselves go they might be like oh Sharice I've always wondered what would happen if I put this in it or you know so they're actually a really good source of like ideas because they understand how the equipment work but it means you can just ask some really interesting questions like um okay this process if I add in this ingredient what would happen will it still work um it it just enables you to understand at what point within that you know as it goes through the line where you can add something different or better or you know if I leave it in a little little bit longer there is that going to give me a benefit actually that actually makes it more distinctive versus the rest of the category if if we roast it for a little bit longer or if we prove it for a little bit or you know it it enables you to understand because you know everyone in your category is going to have very similar kit you know if you're making if, if you're but then if you understand how that kit works and where you can either make it better, different, add something in, it inherently will give you potentially an advantage that, you know, your competitors in your category may may not even realized yet. And then, then if that benefit then equals a customer benefit or is in line with the trends and then almost there is your holy grail. So I think, yeah, it it's probably something I think not many marketers do, or they may be too far from the manufacturing plants, but it's something that I would always encourage marketers to do, get to your line, understand how your product is made, um, and really understand how you can add value also in a way that's not gonna drive a million pound of capex or <laughs> exactly. significantly that- change your process. So I think that one of the big takeaways from from this episode particularly, we're not when it finished yet, but is that to be a good marketer, you've got to get off your chair. Yeah. Um, I used to have a boss who called it marketing by walking about. Yeah. By by that she meant get off your backside, go and talk to the customer, go and watch what they do, but also yeah. go and talk to the people in production as well and kind yeah. of, you know, walk about, just go and get down, which I think comes from your McDonald's days of 100%. being on the truth. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think so, and um, and actually, interestingly, my mum, who is quite um, I always think if she she did some, she's a social worker, but she did something different. Like she probably would work in like food or drink like innovations because she's always like mixing stuff and like creating her own concoctions and and you know she always used to say to me, "Oh, why don't you just mix it yourself and see what happens?" Or you know. So she's also, I think, as a as I've been going out for my career, she's also quite grounded me in, you know, just have a go, try it, just yeah. be creative. So I think, yeah, 100%, get off your seat, be curious, um, you know, you know, yes, you need the strategy, yes, you need the brief, but also just be p- quite playful, have fun and, and try some stuff. Some things will work and some things, you know, uh, won't, but that's okay. <laughs> So from there, you moved into working at Britvic, where you got your hands on like the grand old lady, for want of a better phrase, of, <laughs> yeah. of a brand in that in that category. Um, so what you know, what happened there? What was that like? And what brand was it as well? I'll let you explain. Yeah, so um, I joined Britvic, um, and I I worked in Robinsons, which so even before joining Robinsons, I was a huge, huge, I still am <laughs> a huge uh, Robinsons fr- um, fan. I'm not a really a fruit juice drinker, and I, I struggle to drink water, so squash is 
is is my my drink of choice and I was so excited to join Robinson's because as a category at that time it was just quite dull it's quite you know there's only really a couple of flavors and um there really wasn't much distinctiveness between own label and the branded players um and I was just like wow it's an amazing brand but like what is its what is it its reason for being like why is it better why is it different and actually the taste is just as good sometimes depending on which own label brand you buy so you're um so very subjective it, isn't it at that yes so, yeah, yeah it's really subjective so there was no real it kind of lost its way a little bit um and so I was really excited at the concept of you know taking that brand and driving some meaning behind it and creating you know pulling out the brand story and doing something with the brand that was distinctive um and that led to being part of um uh, uh, what is what would now is um it won the marketing weeks um innovation Pro- uh, award project revitalized which basically looked at creating a, a completely um uh, new innovation pipeline for robinsons um so we it was a new range of uh drinks um ready ready to drinks as well and um, with robinsons refreshed um so that was a really really great example of taking something that was you know some could say quite old quite tired and just breathing some life into it and again understanding um the product and what makes it different and better but being really clear on what that benefit was to the customer which at that time was real fruit um and being really creative in terms of how you present that to the customer um but also extending the brand into new occasions so there's often a term of being robinson's being tied to the tap so robinson's refresh was interesting so actually taking inspiration from my mom i had an idea for ready to drink and i remember my first um presentation in the activity exec I actually made some like I said this I put some in the bottle created like the color and I said this is what I think it could look like like the color of the squashes is what I think the drink could taste like mm-hmm. um so which, you went full dragons then with it I, I went full dragons then with it but I and I went full dragons then with it because I knew there were some naysayers in the business that would say you know it would never work we've done it before um so I was like no like if I if if you and I think this is another point like if you if you've got an idea as a brand person that you really want to champion go full dragons then like bring it to life make it tangible to for people make it memorable uh when you're presenting say really like think about all the senses and I think that's that's what I did in that moment and I got the go-ahead to do it and it actually became um one of the biggest soft drink launches um of that year and it's still listed today which actually is a you know it's quite interesting for for innovation to to test to last the test, test of time and it delivered everything that you know you know, when I said it was going to um, be half the size of Ribena, people at the time look at me like, what? And, you know, it is. So, um, yeah, it, again, I think going back to that idea of get off your seat, be creative, be playful, throw things around and be really in- innovative and creative about your innovation. And A, in terms of how you present it to the business, but also how you storytell that you know when you're in meetings and in forums I think if you know if you really believe in something I think having that 
entrepreneurial like almost startup energy even within quite a corporate space I think is brilliant because you have to you're selling it constantly to your customers but you're also selling it internally and then obviously to your retailers as well yeah I'm, I'm sure Paul Meyer Angelou rolls in a grave every time a marketer says uh, quotes her but it, it really resonates with me at times like this where it's like, you know people don't remember what you say but they remember how you make them feel yeah and that's the thing you could have put 50 slides together in a deck about that product might never have got off the ground you bring it to life and people go oh yeah they see the passion they see the commitment yeah. and, and they really buy into that which I think is is another great lesson to take yeah um, 100%. but I if my maths is correct it was around this time to go right back to the beginning and what you said about becoming a mum that was happening around this yeah. sort of time um so I'm not pointing fingers at employers or anything like that <laughs> but I, I don't want to kind of skip over some of the things you said yeah. I, I've um someone who's brought up in a single parent family always thought it's madness how the whole working world has almost kind of thrown women on the scrap heap when they have kids for so long it just seems like utterly ludicrous to me but it happens and I'm pretty sure it still happens I'm absolutely certain but what was your experience like then you know you had this fear and this concern that your career was was going to disappear because you were having a family yeah yeah so yeah your timeline is right so actually interestingly um I like my confidence at that time was had really taken a knock um a because so you know I think actually it was more perception than reality of I I perceived the story I was telling myself was that you know I couldn't go for the big roles I couldn't um (laughs) And often, you know, it happens to women, but also happens to men. Like you, you know, imposter syndrome at that time, you've been out of work for a year. It, it's at its all time high and the gremlins, you know, are talking very loudly. Um, and I was working actually with a re- recruitment consultant and she actually put, she you know, says, oh, I think you should go for this role. And I was like, no, I can't do it. They're never going to take me. And she's like, just try, shoes, just go for it. And do you know what? I really, um, I actually reached reached out to her, after, you know, some t- years after that to say thank you because mm-hmm. because of the headspace I was in, and she recognised that that she really like pushed me, encouraged me to go for it. Whereas I was like, I can't do it, um, and I did it, and I got the job. <laughs> um, these are like those those quiet moments my brother refers to them as the brain weasels which um you know where they just keep chirping away telling you that you can't do something that it's not going to be there and it's an awful space to be in isn't it and it does sometimes take external intervention to to get you out of that space yeah 100 percent um so yeah um but you know I did and I think actually that really gave me like confidence it brought my confidence back to say okay I've just you know I've just I've given birth I've had my year off and now I've done this and actually it made me feel like well I've done all of that like I'm a superwoman <laughs> like the world Absolutely, is my oyster yeah. now and I can you know I can really grab it grab it by the balls and um so yeah I think having probably what I would also say at that time is um having some support be it I had the recruitment consult but obviously now it's a different time where you could you know whether your employees have like return to work schemes or mentorship or you know getting yourself a coach or anything just to kind of you know 
disrupt or inter- interrupt some of the stories that you might be telling yourself for mm-hmm. all different reasons at that time I think is so important to both women and and to men um who are returning to work but you know it, it could be due to childbirth it could be lots of different reasons um yeah it was really pivotal think- for me Sorry. So, do you think that because uh, you uh, told me beforehand, obviously that there's a you've got a younger child as well, and in the gap between the two, do you think the work world has changed for the better for mothers, or did you still recognise the same sort of pressures on on uh, you know as you were going through your, the second child? Did you still recognise the same sort of pressures on a mum? So, I actually think um, it has moved on. I think things have. Uh, improved from you know the the world of work that I was in when I had my first child was very different to the I think the expectation was very different there was no work-life balance you know we all worked till you know seven eight o'clock finished work put our heels on and went out for drinks afterwards that was the culture whereas now I think employers are a little bit more respectful of work-life balance and I think obviously COVID has shifted that dramatically of understanding that people have things they want to do be it children or pets or you know caring for relatives or 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 just you know time for yourselves I think employees are a lot more respectful of that than they were 10 years ago and um also I, I think we'll come on to talk about it but I had I was fortunate enough to um be on the marketing academy and in that you have access to um, uh, mentorship from, I think in the end, I had about nine um, mentoring sessions with CMOs uh, from all you know different sectors and industries. And what was really pivotal to me was how a lot of these women um, and men, there were parents and mothers who were balancing successful careers had written books had you know were working four days a week and had this construct of just life as a whole not just work but life that really served them and that just completely reframed for me what my work in life and career could look like so that really helped actually going into um my now 18 month year that really helped frame that experience to go okay how do I organize my life in a way that fulfills me with my career fulfills my purpose my values but also enables me to be uh you know present in the way that I want to be with my daughter um so that experience I think almost seeing it seeing what it could look like through that mentorship just helped reframed a lot of the kind of the myths or the stories I'd been telling myself up until that point so I think that was a real shift for me which meant that I could quite confidently go into my next one and go I want to work four days a week and I want to you know do some consulting and voluntary work on the side because that's really important to me I was a lot more confident in um, orchestrating and, and creating the infrastructure of the work and career life that served myself and my family and ultimately what I saw is like that was success for me. Fantastic. And that's a great, um, I love that story, listening to that. And I love the impact of 
mentoring and support and that which came through the marketing academy so let, let's let's talk about that i i don't think i've heard a bad thing about the marketing academy we've had amy smith previously on the podcast who's been through that just give us the the, the highlights of that experience because it is it's a gold standard isn't it of kind of great training to be through yeah it's oh my gosh uh, I'm not sure what Amy said but I and everyone everyone says to me like what's the marketing academy like should I do it and I'm just like yes 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 um it changed my life I'm being like like it changed my life it um completely reframed my idea of leadership and what it meant to be a leader not just in the workplace but in all facets of my life um, it really helped align my values um, and what I'm here to do. Like, what's my role in the world and where do I fit into that? What what value do I need to bring? Um, it really solidified that. And just having 30 other or well, 29 other scholars who are on the program with you, you're just surrounded by the most incredible people who are, you know, smart and intelligent, but also grounded by like stories of like, you know, you see this person, you see the title, but then actually when you hear the story, you're like, wow, that's so amazing. It's so inspirational. So even that in itself, just being in the, you know, in 29 other people's presence is massively impactful. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, the mentorship, it's just it's just amazing that you you have access to you know some of the you know the biggest CMOs in the business who are just so generous so helpful um with their time really supportive and really lay out to you you know how to so one of the interesting things is and I think for me is you know I'm I am the probably the only person within my family that is um in kind of corporate or marketing and advertising. So I don't often I don't have the benefit of like somebody else like telling me what to do, how to navigate the spaces, how to navigate the rooms. So I often found actually when I got to a certain level, I'm like, how do I navigate this? Like, <laughs> where's the manual? Who tells you what to do here? <laughs> um make it up quick yeah yeah and actually having someone having being part of a program but having the mentorship to help you navigate some of the tricky situations or um it's, it's just fantastic so um I'm a huge 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 advocate for the program it's so much more than just the marketing program it is mm -hmm. it's a leadership philosophy that you know as soon as I see you know somebody that has been on the Marx academy or cmo that's been on the fellow program um i automatically feel the connection with them because i'm like okay you buy into the same philosophy as as i do in terms of leadership and um using brand and marketing as a force for good and being a change maker um and paying it forward and paying you know giving back um to you know you know and paving the way so yeah it's an incredible program I, I do want to, again, I I'm, feel I'm bouncing around a little bit. I want to come back to that about using marketing as a force for good because some of the voluntary stuff you do now. Before you do that, I just want to touch on a short-term role you had at Innocent Smoothies as a group marketing manager in innovation. Um, so innovation at, at Innocent Smoothies, but tell us about that, about that time you had there. 
Yeah, so um, like Innocent was one of those like jobs where you're, I'm a very values led person. So I I, I really do believe in um, brand and marketing as a force for good, having a positive impact on people and planet. So actually when, it's not very often where you have your your core values, your personal values align with like a brand or work values like your, you know, you're backed and barking. So for me, it was a huge huge alignment so I was like really excited um and yeah as an organization it's super interesting because actually it um it does really live by those values so you know everything that it, it they you know put in their packaging it's 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 true you know the full transparency is the really the really go to the nth degree to make things that they're sustainable um that they're having a positive impact on the world but also what was quite interesting for me at that point was I'd been quite lucky in the sense of, you know, at McDonald's, I was in an environment and a space where I was there was I was given freedom to succeed. Like I, I felt like I could do anything, be anything. There was really that path. Same at New York Bakery Bakers. I've been really, really fortunate at that time to be in spaces that felt like they were for me. I never really, mm-hmm. I never really observed my like, difference in terms of my background or race or sexuality or anything or you know I just felt like I could just be me and I think um that role for me was the first time where I actually felt like oh I'm different (laughs) I'm different here like I you know I've I've got you know a Midlands accent um you know I'm my you know socioeconomic status is different like it was very evident I was quite different and I found that very difficult to navigate actually um and I think obviously innocent of has as all organizations um do, you know, they have they've got some work to do. And I think, you know, they've really acknowledged it themselves of of creating an environment that feels where everyone is equitable and is inclusive and where everyone can just be who they are. Cause ultimately if you create that environment you get the most out of people um so for me culturally I was like this is probably not somewhere that is for me right now um but that's not to say in the future that it it may not be so I think that you know there's they've done a lot of work since then in terms of of making a space that feels more welcoming to everybody so yeah um yeah it was interesting point in my career that I'd it was the first time that I'd felt that and often mm-hmm. when you feel that it's quite hard to articulate to people. Like, I just don't feel like I fit in. I don't, I don't feel like I wanted it. <laughs> and sometimes it's, you feel like it's in your head. You're like, no, 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 it's not in my head. Like, yeah. And it's, it's actually, it, it's really easy to explain to someone who's had that and really yeah. difficult to explain to somebody who's never had that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with someone, you know, it's like, when did you realize you were different? And I'm like, never. And I'm like, well, why? And it's because, I've always been this way. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like it, other people point out to you sometimes that you're yeah. different. Yeah. And that's a really difficult conversation. You know, it, it happened to me at school and like I, I used to get chased home sometimes by by the local racist kids, which was a great experience as a as an eight-year-old child. Oh man. But you don't realize you're different until they're they're telling you you are because yeah, yeah. you don't grow up looking in the mirror going, no. oh, why do I look this way? Or you, you just you're normal this is me this is who I am it's only when other yeah. people start pointing it out to you and they go well but am I different or is it you yeah. that's got it wrong but it, when you've when you've lived that it's 
as soon as you said it, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People listening to this who've maybe never experienced that and going, I don't quite get what she's talking about. Yeah, it's okay that you don't get it, but you know, let's talk, let's have those conversations. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I probably didn't have the language at the time to really articulate it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really interesting experience for me because I was like, oh, okay, there's still work to do. Mm-hmm. There's still work to do in the industry. There's still work to do at organizational level. And I think it kind of lit up a fire in me a little bit um, because I was like, well, you know, I've had some amazing experiences to this point. I've worked with some amazing organizations and I've got great, you know, and if I feel like this, then what does the first time graduate who've just come out of university feel like? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was almost like a little bit of a, a, a fire that started in me of actually wanting to influence and trying support organizations support individuals of creating spaces that are a bit more inclusive and also supporting the next generation in terms of of how to kind of navigate spaces that sometimes will be for you and sometimes you will have that feeling that we've just articulated oh my god I'm different here how do I navigate it? Um, so yeah, that was almost a start. That was a bit of a catalyst for me. We had a years ago, early on in the podcast, we did a, an edition called the Black Edition after George Floyd was murdered, and uh, some American guests on. Isha Edwards talks about Rubik's cubing your organization, and mm. by that she meant it's not just about what you say at the top. You've got to kind of align all those things as mm. well, so you deliver them throughout the organization. And that's really critical because when you're saying it's like, I, I didn't have the language for that. And I know, exa- again, mm. I know exactly what you mean. But that's when, when you say we've got a great culture. To me, what that means as an organization is people, even if they're struggling with the language, well, you probably shouldn't feel like that in the first place if you've got a great mm. culture. But if you do have that culture, it should be easy for them to be able to kind of go, I have an unspecified blob mm. of feedback for you. And let's try and work through that. And I think that's what kind of Rubik's cubing your organization means is not having everything perfect, but having it so that things can be raised and sorted if they do go wrong. And I think that's an important part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Not always easy to do, very difficult to do, but it's easy to talk about. 100%. Um, but you then you've sort of jumped forward to your, you know, you, you are values driven and you said that, uh, you've, you know, you've mentioned that a couple of times. So you do some voluntary work with, with Ad Salt. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of that organization and, and what you do there? Yeah. So oh, Ad Salt is just, well, the organization's called Salt, um, of which Ad is um, one of the areas that they focus on. So as a whole, as an ethos, they're an organization that, seeks to drive change within the consumer goods industry to make it more equitable and more inclusive for um, uh, individuals and brands. So uh, there's Salt Rise that um, is a mentoring program that supports uh, young people from um, black or you know backgrounds disadvantaged from a socioeconomic perspective get their first their first role in mentorship and adsol is essentially a brand, a brand accelerator program that supports startups or scale scale ups um get them to get them retailer ready or investment ready so they're supported they go through like a 12 week program 
where they have um, a range of consultants from brand to investment to category um, and you almost it's an ecosystem that sits behind the founders to to get them ready for uh, whether it be uh, investment presentations or retailer sell-ins and it's absolutely it's a fantastic program because it I think coming out of the back of George Floyd as a lot of people did I had that moment of this is awful this is terrible but what do I do like I want to do something and I don't know what that something is and I'm quite action orientated so I was like okay whatever I do it needs to make an impact like I want to have a genuine impact on either a group or an individual for good and Adsol was is exactly that you know all the consultants that work on that you genuinely are impacting someone's life um I've worked with founders who you know have got the most amazing product and you know you work with them developing their brand and their positioning and their um you know you get to this you know great selling story and they're balancing that with you know a, a full-time job as a carer or they're a sole founder where it's just them and they're boxing that you know they're making their product they're doing all the labeling they're shipping everything to amazon or to a retailer and you know and, and they're like oh my god i've never had i've not had someone with me to help me before you so you are really are genuinely impacting people's lives for the better and ultimately helping them get their product onto you know supermarket shelves or you know into in a pure play or um different retailers or e-commerce um so it's a, it's just a it's a fantastic philosophy and an amazing program and I just feel really fortunate to be part of it to be honest I think they're really fortunate to have you as well I think <laughs> you know your, your passion for it comes through your passion for you know inclusivity diver, uh, diversity all comes through as well but also being as sharp as they come when it comes to what you do and, yeah. and that's just a great combination to have that passion and that fire in, in along with those skills as well it's fantastic so I'm now trying to think up an idea I can then push to get on that accelerator. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a job for a different day. Um, so before we wrap up, um, tell us about your current role. So you're at Green King as, as head of brand. Talk to me about that. And again, tell people who Green King are. I, I used to work in pubs, so I was like, oh, I know that brand. Oh, you but, know you Green know. King. Yeah, so Green King um, uh, has has two kind of facets. Um, it has a brewing business. So those people might be familiar with Green King through um, the brewing brands, but also um, is one of the biggest um, pub and restaurant and hotel operators in the UK. Um, and I sit on the, um, the hospitality side. Um, so in my role at Green King, I essentially work on innovation again <laughs> um creating basically taking brands and um creating new new concepts to be tested and kind of launched um within the hospitality space so um I was really excited to go back to the hospitality industry probably from my McDonald's days of having that connect direct connection with um customers you know mm -hmm. being able to walk into a space and, and speak to them so that was really really exciting for me but also just the concept of I've never kind of created something where you're physically building a building <laughs> that you can go into. I've, I've created products that can go down the line, but creating a space. And I think it is, yeah, it's such a fantastic experience. And um, 
the pub industry as a whole, I think, is really, really at a really, really interesting time. And I think Green King are really leading the way of how to make the hospitality industry just more inclusive and more welcoming. And that is really at the heart of what I do and people who sit within our team do is of bringing all of those insights. So, right, you know, there's lots of gaps in terms of, you know, people not feeling that pubs are welcoming, but for lots of different reasons and mm-hmm. how can we create environments that do, you know, are, are more welcoming and are more inclusive and do meet people's needs. And um, so it, it really is a role that actually enables me to draw from lots of different facets um be it my voluntary work but also um understanding how to really center the customer experience at the heart of you know an idea or proposition in in this essence it's a restaurant or or a physical building that really meets their needs um in a way that the industry doesn't now so i think yeah green king are really leading that space and i think it's it's a really exciting time to be um at Green King at the moment. I mean, you, you know, you're right. The pub industry is on, under pressure. You open the newspapers, well, the digital newspaper, because nobody actually reads them anymore. But you, know, you, under, you open the newspapers regularly, and there's a number of pubs shutting on a weekly basis. Um, so, do you, so innovation in that sector seems like it, it's definitely mm. needed. Do you have a process you use for innovation, or you know, anything you can share with us to kind of wrap up and give us a little insight for people thinking, yeah, but how, how do I do innovation? Is there any sort of steps along that journey that you go through? Yeah, so to be honest, what's I think what you probably observe through this conversation and and um my career is obviously I've worked in with lots of different brands in lots of different industries and lots of different sectors, and probably what I would say is the process to get from idea to physical product to a physical space is is very similar, and I think that's probably why um you know making that shift from an industry perspective I've been able to do because actually the 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 construct of how you do it is is pretty much the same mm-hmm. um it it really does all center of twofold of really having a deep understanding of um trends your category but also culture combining that with having a deep understanding of the customer's needs once and what is that that power killer insight that enables you that enables you to spark and actually then fits with the the trends and where um the sector's going as a whole um that's always the starting place i would say irrespective of industry or brand or it's it's finding that and i think once you've got that then the process has always been the same of, you know, writing, you know, multiple, multiple ideas and concepts and, you know, going through a series of testing and, you know, see what customers think and really just making it very customer centric and being obviously led by them, but also keeping an eye on from a trend perspective where the future is going. Um, So, you know, go from idea to concepting, to testing that concept, to, um, commercialization to understanding how you're going to either operationalize it um how you can make a really compelling business case for it does it make money at the end of the day <laughs> and then um I think the the beauty of innovation in whichever sector it is and I think particularly within the hospitality industry is I almost see it as like you're the conductor and you need to understand 
and how you really leverage the orchestra, be it the organization to bring to life your idea. So you've got everything from food to drink to service to HR to people to tech to all of the facets that make up the experience. And like your job is to kind of hold the, you know, as a conductor, hold the, the tune and then be and beautifully get them to the kind of the end of the crescendo, which is it, it's bring brought to life a reality. And I think that's the same irrespective of whichever industry or, or category that you're in. Um, that for me is actually the difference between a great idea that never makes it anywhere and a brilliant idea that makes it in, into the market is, I think, as an innovator, the ability to really leverage your organisation to make it happen and to bring it into fruition. Um, and it's the same within hospitality. I would say it's even harder in hospitality because mm. you're, it's an industry that's powered by people and um, people were, were complex. <laughs> and, you know, Ooh, you're, yes. <laughs> you're complex and your brand has to come to life through that person, whether that be on a Tuesday at 10, 10 a.m. or 9 p.m. on a Saturday, your brand promises can be, broken in an instant if that moment isn't mm -hmm. as you realized it so um having that connectivity and really understanding how you leverage your organization really understanding the people that work in your businesses and what motivates them and you know how you can support them bringing your promise and also what's in it for them as well so that they feel motivated to um I think is yeah a really interesting dynamic within the hospitality industry that I've not really experienced working within consumer goods which is super interesting that is a superb answer and a great place to finish so thank you very much for your time I am going to put you on the spot for one more question okay so hopefully a quick fire one do you have <laughs> a book you'd recommend uh to people who've listened to this podcast and think all oh, right Definitely. You know, where would I, you know, what should I be reading? You know, what, what's influenced you? Um, is there anything in particular that stands out from your background and things you've read over the years? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so it's, uh, it's a book that's not really like a, um, typical, um, uh, marketing <laughs> book, um, or like a business book, um, but uh, it was a book that I randomly picked up in a airport. And so slight deviation, I'm, if I wasn't in marketing or brand, I loved science and I really loved physics and chemistry at school. And I sometimes wish that somebody spotted that in me and like really nurtured that because I probably could be doing something different now. Yeah. Um, but the book that I would really um, recommend is by um, Stephen Hawking mm -hmm. and it's brief answers to the big questions. Um, and the reason why I recommend that book, because as a brand, a marketer person, I think on a whole, you're quite curious. You know, you think, uh, or, you know, that's where it sits with me, but generally we're quite curious people, curious about customers and curious about how things work and what that book does is it really helps frame and set up the world and where it could go and what it could be in the concept of the progress of quantum physics, the, you know, the big questions of, around um, human race, earth, AI, um, 
and I think it, as marketers and brands for me it just really helped frame where we could be in the next 10 20 years um and it, it has got me thinking quite differently actually about now and thinking about where I take my brands for the future where we could be and what I need to be thinking about um it's a brilliant brilliant book um quite probably unexpected as a not a typical brand or marketing book but it yep, really it's did. not how brands grow that's for sure <laughs> it's not <laughs> how brands go but I think as a as a book that really sparks big ideas and big thoughts and looking at the earth and our role on the earth and the role brands and businesses and products could play in that in where we potentially are going I think I just found it hugely exciting so for me, it's like a bit of a geeky answer, but <laughs> no. Listen, it, it's it's. I'm I'm a big believer in not just diversity, uh, you know, by kind of protected characteristics, but diversity of thought. And if everyone only reads the same books, we only ever get the same ideas coming. You know, you might take something slightly different. So when people, when I ask people questions and like this, and they come back with um, a book about astrophysics or. Um, I was recommended a book about how the finance markets work uh, by um, Benoit Mandelbrot, I think it was by. And, you know, you just like most of the book I didn't understand, but the bits I did have a real impact on, okay, so if that's what moves that, and it just takes your brain into different places. So that's exactly why we asked that question at the end. So thank you very much for that. Um, no problem. Sharice, thank you very much for your time. Um, I've gone way over time, so apologies if we've made you late for the last for your next meeting. Um, it's but okay. thank you very much for that. This has been an amazing way to start this mini series, and just an amazing episode, a part of the whole four seasons. This is incredible. So thank you very much for your time, Sharice. And thank you, thank you so much for having me.